Hello, everybody. This is Shane from Shock Talk, and I'm here with Mike Ritchie to the left and my good buddy, Junior Africa, way off to the left. Um, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so we want to answer a question that we get a lot at shows, uh, whatever, online. People ask this question all the time. Uh, 6112. We have a great kit. A 6112 kit is an awesome kit for that we make for... Uh, front of late model IFS trucks, late model starting from like maybe 05 and later. Um, and we developed this kit that's two 60 millimeter shocks and two springs. It levels the vehicle. And let's get to the 60 millimeter part. 60 oh, you're, millimeter. You're 10 years lacking, man. It's mm -hmm. 95 and a half Tacoma. We make a 60 millimeter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 60, uh, 60 millimeter, that's uh, the ID piston. And uh, the outside diameter, if you relate it to the market, would be a 2.6. So uh, large diameter shock, 6112. On the back, we use a 5160 in most cases. So we want to answer that question. Why do we run a 5160 that's a 46 millimeter piston, two inch shock with a reservoir on the back when we run a two and a half inch shock or 2.6 inch shock, 60 millimeter piston, in the front. So well, why do we do that? I suspect there's some technology involved here. There's a lot of tech behind it. There's a, there's a, lot, a lot of thought went into a it. A lot of reasons, and it might not make sense at first glance. Until we explain it. But af maybe after this explanation, people will get it. Yeah, hopefully people will listen up and uh, pick up some tips on why and how we do things around here. What, what kind of engineering goes into the products that we build for these vehicles? So Shane, take off with it. Let's Let's delve into it a little bit here. Okay, well, um, I think there's a lot of things to talk about, and that is uh, oil volume in the shock, right, right. Uh, nitrogen volume, right. shaft displacement, the size of the piston rod, how the size of the piston, size of the piston, Correct. rod force, rod, rod force yeah. is a big one, and uh, also the internal components, some are, are bulkier, than others, right? Like you got the piston rod, the seal pack. You got all these different things that are that are falling into what makes this a great pair with the sixty-one twelve and forty-six millimeter up front. So let's just pick one and talk about it. How about piston rod size? Let's start there. Okay, so the sixty-one twelve is a sixty millimeter piston, which is true sixty millimeter. True, right. true sixty millimeter, which is about a two point three six right, right in inches. And then the 46 millimeter is the piston size on the rear shock, 5160, and that's just under two inches. Right. So being able to pair those up now, the 60 millimeter piston up front is giving us more or less control over the 46 millimeter piston, or the same. Well, the piston, yeah, the piston with a 60 millimeter does tend to react a lot differently than a 46 millimeter piston. Yep. So you talked about something called rod displacement. So what exactly is that? How does that affect the way the shock works front and rear, basically 60 millimeter and 46 millimeter? Yes. So both shocks are monotube shock. And in a monotube shock, got one here if you watch this on YouTube, you've got a uh, basically uh, their nit uh, Bilstein shocks are a gas pressurized shock. Well, Nitrogen. Let's, yeah. let's get to the basics on yeah, this. Yeah. So what's a monotube shock? So exactly. A Bilstein shock. Start at the beginning. <laughs> is not just full of gas. There's gas and there's oil. Right. So you've got uh, the damping occurs as a piston goes through oil. Right. And on top of the oil, 
on a just a standard monotube shock without a reservoir, there is something called dividing piston. IFP, internal floating piston, for those of you who rebuild shocks. Yes, and above that is nitrogen pressure. And right. the reason why this shock is the way, the reason why this is designed that way is the pressure on top of the dividing piston pressurizes the oil and eliminates and basically compresses any air in the oil and eliminates cavitation. So there's, there's air suspended in the oil. We put the gas pressure on top of the oil column to keep the air suspended in the oil. Yes. However, under hard use, you could still cavitate a monotube. Right. Of course you can. Right. But it doesn't uh, eliminate cavitation. It prolongs cavitation in heavy use. Yes. Yeah. So the, uh, let's get into the, the other type of shock out there, a twin tube shock. It's not under direct pressure. Right. Maybe there, a twin tube shock could be gas pressurized, but it's very low pressure. Low pressure, yeah. And those are going to cavitate a lot quicker, quicker yep. than a monotube. Yep. So they probably cavitate as soon as you start up your car. Yep, within yes. a few miles of driving. Yeah, yeah. So um, by design, yeah. by design, yeah. So, but but the the thing about how this monotube shock works, so the the shaft goes in and out of the shock, and to displace that volume of the shaft moving from the outside of the shock to the inside of the shock, the dividing piston moves back and forth. Right. And it expands and it contracts. Yeah, for those of you on YouTube, you actually push that in there. You can see it. Yes. You can see the internal floating piston or dividing piston move up and down because we're adding volume to the column of oil with the piston rod. Now, you relate that to our earlier conversation. In the 60-millimeter shock, we have a larger piston rod, which the larger body helps control the rod volume going in and out. It does. So we don't use the standard industry 2.5 size piston rod we use an 18 mil not a 22 so we use a smaller slightly smaller which is better because you're not trying to tune against rod force right let's talk about rod force yeah what is that so rod force um you can't just put like the largest piston possible in a shock because what's in a monotube shock because when it goes in and out that volume has to be displaced and this dividing piston is going to move back and forth. So if you have a shock without a reservoir, um, basically there's a limit to the size of piston rod you could put in there. And not only that, you've got pressure in the shock, and that piston rod goes in, it's creating its own spring force. Yeah, if you look at this, I mean, we've got a small chamber here, and as we compress this shock, the dividing piston moves down, that pressure ramps up as I close this, right? So with, with a 60-millimeter shock and a larger piston rod, we can only go so far before that dividing piston bottoms out into the bottom, and that, that's called hydraulic at that point, where the, yeah. the dividing piston can no longer move, and we're actually locking that shock up. So now, it's really important to have the right size piston rod because you don't want that gas force to ramp up. Too high. And that, well, not only the gas force could cause issues of durability, but it's also you're going to feel that in the car. Right. Makes it stiffer. Yeah, it makes it stiffer. We call that the gas spring effect, don't we? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, typically nitrogen pressure, gas force generates spring energy. Yep. Yep. So the more gas force you put into a shock, the more springy the car feels. It doesn't add rate. You can't add rate. Right. But it kind of mimics like you are, right? It's making the car feel springier than it should. So there's a fine line of the amount of gas force you put into a shock. And this is a lot of the reasons why, I'm just going to take a stab at this real quick. 
just to like, we have mostly our BMW customers, right? And, that, and I know this is a little off topic, but this is a great platform to, to give some information. Um, so when, when, when a BMW customer waits 15 years, 120,000 miles to replace a shock absorber, they take, they, they, they go online, they see that the B6 is probably the best suitable shock to control the chassis and, and it's, it's performance oriented. So they go that route. And then they wonder why they got a little bit more height out of the vehicle. And the reason behind this, number one, is you've actually reduced your height over the 120,000 miles in 10 years because you've eliminated all the gas force in the low pressure twin tube shock you had on top of 120,000 miles of comp compromised spring rate, not spring rate, but fatigued coil. Right, sag. Now you put a shock that's high pressure inverted monotube that's going to rejuvenate that spring energy and it's going to increase ride height. Isn't that crazy? Right. A shock on, on in, a, in a certain a situation like that yep. would actually lift your car slightly. Yep. And it's slightly. So so the, 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 the beauty of it is that's typically how your vehicle was delivered to the first owner or yourself and you just don't remember it. Right. Because over the 10 years, you've come accustomed to seeing the way it is on a daily or, basis. Or feeling the way or it drives. Way yeah. it is, but right? so, in essence, you're not raising it. You're putting it back to the way it was and, when you and bought it. And just to add yeah. a little awareness to the market, it, 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 this is a very, this is a very, this is an, this is something that's often asked. Is, is your Bilstein shock, your B6, your B8 going to make my car stiff? Absolutely not. It's, it's tuned for the application. Right. But will it make it quote unquote stiffer than it is? It's probably will. It probably will, but there's reasoning behind this technology or, 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 or feel in the seat of your pants, you're going from a, you're going from a, you're going from a replacement twin tube damper to a high pressure monotube performance damper, right? With a little bit more aggressive tuning because we typically tune 10, 15% a little more aggressive for the aftermarket than we do for ROE. So when you go with a high pressure monotube shock, it can feel a little more spirited, right? Yes. But if, if you're, we don't get this concern when you get the new Tacoma owner or the new forerunner owner that has 12 miles on his vehicle and he wants to change shocks. Right. He hasn't had a chance to wear it out. Because you're comparing yeah. two new components. Right. So even when you're comparing the OE Takiko or Hitachi twin tube shock that came on that chassis to a mono two high pressure monotube, there's not much of a difference in overall ride quality because you're comparing new to new. Now, if you have for 95 and a half Tacoma and you've never replaced the shocks on it, most certainly you'll have a whole different ride characteristic. Yeah. Well, from what I understand or from what I've seen and what I've felt myself, the gas spring effect, if you will, is all positive effects on the car's chassis to me. So it makes the car drive flatter it, or truck, you know, right? So you're not getting as much body roll. You're not feeling it. Um, the rear shocks compress under acceleration. You don't get brake dive, all these sort of things. So the neat thing that happens with this gas spring effect or one of the positive effects is that you get a much better driving chassis as kind of an extra attribute that comes with that design, if you will. But, 
But back to the reservoir shock. To be devil's devil's advocate, our shocks are not for everyone. Correct. Right? So you don't, there's some consumers that I talk to on a daily basis that don't want that flat feeling, that don't want that no break die feeling. No, there's definitely customers like that. Correct. And that is a B4 customer. Exactly. We make a twin tube. Twin tube customer. You know, that, 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 would rather sacrifice the spirited handling in favor of the more comfortable, right. plush, less spirited ride quality. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, let's let, wrap. So let's wrap gas force up. Okay. On as it pertains to sixty one twelve. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with the size of the piston rod. Mm-hmm. The bigger the piston rod, the bigger the gas force ramp up. The more. But this is rate. all engineered into the product. Yeah. So yeah. sixty one twelve has an eighteen millimeter piston rod in the front. A 5160 in the rear has a 14 millimeter piston rod. Okay. So it's a, a very different gas force ramp ups between those two. So that's one technical piece right there. And we're so so explain that difference, Shane. Like, right. Like, I mean, we're we, working with a reservoir. Does, shop the, now, does right? the 60 mil with an 18 mil piston rod non reservoir require more gas force than a 14 mil 46 14 mil piston 46 mil shock with a reservoir? Um, no. Uh, actually, well, let's get into that. That might be the next, the next thing. Right. How much pressure? Um, the pressure. So, but before we move on to that topic, gas force, the 6112s on the front of the car has a large piston, has a good gas force ramp up, but it's on the front of the car, back to motion ratio. You're on a two to one motion ratio. You got the motor on top of you. You need that. On top of it. It, the gas force is pretty minimal. Yeah, negligible. Yeah, as far as it how it ramps up, you know, because you got a lot of weight, you got a, a two to one motion ratio, and all that. Which is steer- what's the average? Like, like, let's pick a chassis low. So let's pick a fifth gen Forerunner because that's a very common chassis. Or you know, let's let's not even do that. Let's do a Chevy because we're always talking about Toyotas. Let's give some Chevy guys. Some let's talk about Chevy. <laughs> let's talk about Chevy. Hey, hey, is it a Trail Boss? Trail Boss. Let's talk about a Chevy Trail Boss. <laughs> okay, what? For, for, for a 6112 kit on a trail boss. All right. What is the spring rate used in the front? I don't know. Like 600? I, I don't I have no idea. Seven. I think it's 700. Seven. Yeah, right. 700 pounds. So that motion ratio, whereas the rear leaf sprung, so it's more one-to-one up and down. Actually, it's not one-to-one because their shocks are moved at a pivot. But it's a lot better motion ratio. In the back than the front. Right. Correct. So actually, that's a bad, that's a poor example of what I'm trying to get at. So let's go back to fifth generation Forerunner. So five link, more of a one-to-one motion ratio, solid axle, rear. Versus our front, 6112 kit with a 600-pound spring. What's your average spring rate OE for the rear? 150, 200? 180 pounds. Yeah. We have ours is our, our 186 pounds. We have an OE rate that's an inch and a half an inch lift. Then we have a heavy load that's 224 pounds rate. Something like that. So obviously the, let me gather where I was going with this, but obviously the front is going to take more damping to control that 700 pound spring than the rear is going to take to control even the heavy load 224 pounds. That's true. Yeah. 
So, and and let, let's go back. Which to also has to do with gas force as well. Right. Yes. That becomes part of the right. spring rate when well, we engineer the product. Well, let's go back to the, you got, let's go back to the trail boss, Chevy trail boss. Chevy so trail what's on, boss. so what's on the, you, you said it's got a lighter spring, but what's on a trail boss, a leaf spring, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty erratic. They're not as smooth as a coil right. spring. So if you take a shock, a 5160 that has a really low gas force ramp up, it's good. By default, it's going to give you a smoother ride. Yeah. And if you had a larger diameter, 60 millimeter, with a large piston rod with a heavy gas force ramp up, let's say it doesn't have a reservoir. Right. The gas force is going to ramp up a lot more and give you just by default a stiffer feel than a, a 5160 with a 14 millimeter piston rod. Yeah, this is something that we that we get asked a lot at shows too as well is, so a reservoir shock, right? We started uh, talking about this a little bit at the beginning. So when we make a reservoir shock, we're actually taking the dividing piston and the gas area out of this main tube. We're putting it in the reservoir tube, which also now is carrying more, more oil. So by moving these two pieces or this area, the gas and the IFP into the reservoir, we do a couple of things. We allow more piston rod to go into the main body of the shock so we get better travel, right? So we can actually push more piston rod in here because all of this isn't here. The volume of the, of the nitrogen and the IFPs moved into the reservoir. Yep. And that usually takes up a couple inches at the end of the shock. Now you can put a bigger piston rod in, or a longer, longer piston, piston rod, rod. Yep. which is going to provide more travel. Yep. And then the second thing is, is we talked about gas force. So by putting these two things into the reservoir, we've now given that gas area more space to expand and contract. So we have less rod force or less gas spring effect on the working piston at that yeah, time. Yeah, because so we're using less gas force in the reservoir than we would have to in a non-reservoir shaft. Yeah, so because it takes more gas force at high shaft velocity yep. to keep that gas oil mix, yep. right? Yep. So in a standard 5100, let's just go back to a Jeep TJ. What are we you just 300 PSI of gas force in there? Right. Right? Whereas, in the but, but the damping right. is super low right. because it's a one-to-one -one motion ratio. Right, so right, you right. don't feel that effect nearly as much as you would on a two-to-one or one-and-a-half-to-one motion ratio. Right. Right? So so with the reservoir, you're only using 100, 200, 220 PSI of gas force. Right. And you're not compressing it as small when you put the whole piston rod in the body of the shock. So it makes... so. With so that, that reservoir shock, it's giving you a better extended compressed and a more comfortable ride throughout the whole travel of the shock, especially on the more compressed side of things. So, yeah, we talked about rod size. We talked about rod displacement, gas force now. That's right. the topic we're on now. Right. So why do we have gas force? Let's get down to, let's get deep on the basics of what the gas force does. Okay. And how much gas do we put in the shocks? Let's do it. Or how much nitrogen. He, he touched on it a little the bit shock. there. Yeah. So... Motion ratio, front 6112, two to one ratio, 700 pound or 600 pound spring. Right. We're back on the Toyota 4Runner. Gas force. What what type of gas force are we putting in that for that? I have no idea. You You're probably 250 it. PSI. 250 PSI. atmospheric. So that's at the piston rods all the way out. Well, it's since you have, it comes down to the damping force. So you've got uh, uh, front of the car. You're trying to control a heavy spring. You're trying to, uh, you got the engine there, and you're on a two-to-one ratio. So you need a lot of damping to control 
the front end of that car. So the more damping you have, the higher the gas force has to be. And you've got be. an approximate two to one motion ratio. Yeah, right? more like one. Right. Yeah, let's, because I don't want these listeners to say, hey, that's not a two to one. That's right. more like one. A trail one, boss is 1.85 1. 1. to one. one. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's use the words. So where are we going to control the actual dampening? Are we going to control it with the. The piston, the working piston itself, or are we going to control it by how much gas we put in there? The damping Both. is on the working piston. Okay, the damping but is on the working piston. Since you have a higher motion ratio, right? Whatever that might be, it's not <laughs> one to one. Uh, if you have a higher motion ratio, you need to have a lot of damping, and that damping turns up the oil. And if you don't right. have enough gas force on top Correct. of the oil, then it cavitates. Right. So you've got on the sixty-one twelve, you got a, a situation where you got heavy valving. And a lot of nitrogen pressure in there to keep the oil from cavitating. And, and, and when I say 200, 250, that's an approximate, and it's application specific. It's not yeah. some are going to need more. The he, you know it, it depends on spring rate, depends on what the final damping profile is. So so that is again a, a guesstimate. But these are yeah. some, these are sealed units, right? So the customers not they're not having to worry about adjusting any gas. Pressure no, things like that. With what we do with the gas force, exactly what Junior said. A lot of people say that's another question. How much gas force do you have in these shocks? I think like a lot of other brands are like it's two hundred, it's one hundred and fifty. Right. With Bill Stein, since we're doing vehicle specific application, it's unique to that. I might add, it's a complete pain in the butt as far as <laughs> manufacturing goes. But we provide you with a specific. It's worth it. Valved shock, so the. The gas force depends on the valving, yep. and every single shock, whatever is the valving have, is on the main piston, is going to have uh, a particular gas force for that valving. And on top of that, all of our shocks, for as far as a quality, uh, a quality thing that we have, is it has to operate at 300 psi, hmm. and um, that's and so the gas force and the oil volume ramp up has to work. And has yeah. to be considered to have no cavitation up to 300 degrees. Get it, yeah. All right, sorry, did and, I say and PSI it, or degrees? You said PSI, but you meant temp. I meant temp. Let's, let's go back. So our, our shocks are designed to operate at 300 degrees. Right. And, and you need to have a certain amount of gas force uh, to control cavitation at 300 yeah, degrees. And you just clicked on a whole nother rabbit hole, temp, right? So how does the temp affect the oil and the gas force? A lot. So a lot. <laughs> as, as the oil heats up. It expands, right? It expands. Which makes more gas force. So now yeah. we're in an engineering nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so the, our engineers take the time to figure this all out when they develop a product. But I, I guess what we're trying to say here is that it's an extremely, extremely um, complicated process to figure out how to make this valving feel comfortable and safe on the vehicle with all these variables working in at any given time. I mean, we've mentioned, what, five different things now that affect how the car rides, which any one of those you get off the slightest bit, and it makes a huge mess. And, and this is why we don't just say, outside of the 8112s, I mean, we have upgraded coils to 650, 700. You also have a bunch of different ride zones in there. So that technology is a bit different. So adding a 700-pound spring to something that came with a 600-pound spring is not as detrimental than doing it on something with minimal technology like a 6112. Right, and when I right. say minimal technology, I mean it's application-specific, it's tuned, and it's, and, and, and it's sprung for a vehicle. Now, you do things that make it not work, right? 
It's not just a matter of throwing a 700 pound spring at it to suspend the vehicle correctly because now it's not damped correctly right. for the way it's suspended. And you've thrown off all the engineering. So yeah, you're, so for all practical purposes on our 6112 kits, that's why we make a heavy load front. We don't use the same shock absorber in a kit that's intended to suspend a bone stock vehicle. Well, it's the same component, but not the same dampening spec. Same component. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this? Yeah, it might be. It might be the body might be a little bit longer because we're putting a seven hundred pound spring, spring in there. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. there could be a number of different changes. Gas force and dampening being number one. Yep. You have a heavier rate, so we don't want to introduce a whole bunch more gas force when we're throwing more damping at it. So that's likely, and I'm not a hundred percent, but theoretically, it should be a little less gas force because we're going to a hundred pound heavier spring and we're going to increase damping. It could change ride height too. It could. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the, first and foremost, the vehicle has to be suspended correctly. Once it's suspended correctly, then you dampen it. Then you dampen it correctly. Right. Right. It's not one or the other. It's both in unison to get the ride where it should be. You know, there's, there's so many guys out there and I only say this because like I've, I've, I've worked, I worked retail for a lot of years before I came to Billstein and I would get guys that came in and said, Hey, I put this bumper on. I just want to put a 700 pound spring on it. That's not the route to take. <laughs> yeah. It's just not, you, you, you need the damping to go with the spring. Right. Right. Or right. It doesn't work. Right. And, and, and it, with the dampening comes potentially a different gas force and all kinds of different other variables play into this thing. So it's not, it's not as simple as it was in the old days where, you know, you just, oh, I put a bumper on. We'll just put six more shocks on the axle. Yeah, it's very common. It's very common. It. It, so it's the old um, oversprung, underdamped. Right. Overdamp, undersprung. So it goes the same. You, you get a guy that is an overlander one day, right? We talked about this trend. So you want to overland one weekend. He's got decorations. He's, decorations. he's decorated all up. He's got the, what do you call it, the molds? Mole. Mole. Yeah. Mole. He's got the mole. mole panels, yeah. He's got the he's got the roof rack and the, the nice armor all max tracks up there and the pelican boxes and the winch bumpers and and, and it's on a truck and his truck bed's empty. Yeah. Um right. Okay. So so you get this guy. One one weekend he's an overlander and then he goes out to the desert and he's like, Wow, go fast. It's super looks super fun. So let, let I want to go fast. Now you take all this weight off of that vehicle. It's going to ride like crap yeah. Oh, yeah. if it's properly yeah. suspended for that. Yeah, and that's a topic we get so a lot, too. So you also don't want to take this guy and say, hey, I got a coilover in here, and I want to drop spring rate because I just reduced all the weight. Now you got the overdamped undersprung effect. Right. You see what I'm saying? So it goes both ways. You can't just reduce spring rate with the same damping profile or increase spring rate with the same damping profile. If you want the car to operate well. Now, now, guys, understand that most people aren't going to do this because they don't have anything to gauge what it should ride like. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I have nothing to gauge how my 95 and a half Tacoma rides, it rides just fine. Yeah. And I'm going to take a 700-pound spring off and put a 600-pound spring on, and guess what? It's going to ride nice because they don't have anything to gauge it off of. Right, and it's so it's so personal or subjective to that, the way that person wants their vehicle to ride. But I want to go back to the package, 6112, 5160. 
Now, we've talked about the technology in both dampers, but what makes that such a sweet setup with the, the 60 millimeter up front and the resi shock in the back? How does that pairing work? Well, let, let's talk about how we, why we have two different ones. Now, um, I mean, we talked a, a lot of it has to do with that rod force displacement, gas, nitrogen force, the oil volume, yeah. all of that. It's just that the, the, uh, the 5160 is very efficient in the back. Um, but it, but I want to I want to talk about the we talk about the front and the rear first. Let's go to the sixty one twelve first. Let's okay. get back to the sixty one twelve the right. package, right. and then we'll go to the back fifty one sixty. So, um, how these manufacturers starting in nineteen ninety five with with Toyota Tacoma ninety five and a half ninety five and a half leave the um, leave your comments down there. A lot of the a lot of the yeah a lot of the uh, man, that was the first manufacturer to do a coilover front IFS I believe mm-hmm. yeah for a light yeah. truck. And uh, they made those, and it, this trend carried on on all the different chassis. So, but, but so a lot was were first very to, late. So, yeah. so Toyota started in '95 and a half, then they moved it into '96 in their Forerunner, and then the T the T100 was still out at that time. So that when they torsion when they bar. Weed, yeah. which was torsion bar, they weeded that out in '98 in favor of the Tundra, which went to a coilover, and then the Sequoia went to coilover. Ford didn't catch on till '04. With the non-heritage F-150. So that was the second one to, to come along, Ford. Mm-hmm. Well, and Nissan, when Nissan, they, they, yeah. they did the Titan and the Frontier change in 05, but the Titan came out Front in 04. torsion bars, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were, the small truck was a torsion bar, and then they converted to coilover um, when they were owned by Renault. <laughs> and GM didn't pick it up till 07 and a half. 07. 07 and a half. Don't forget the half, Shane. Right. Jeez. People are going to comment, man. <laughs> 07 and a half. 07 was a classic. Okay, 07 and a half. GM caught on. Right. And then what happened to Ram? I'm lost in 05 Ram and a half. Ro- and Ram, Ram and was 07. 06. 07. 06. 06, 06, 06 for the 07 model year. Okay. All right, so what so, was the point? So here's the point. They made these coilovers with a long body... And a short travel. Got it, got it. So that was the point, that when they switched to the IFS, this was the design of the suspension. They all Coil did. Coilover suspension, so right. So it's a pretty decently long shock with, like, anywhere from a 4 to a 6-inch travel, depending right. on the manufacturer. Right, right, So 4 mean, meaning Nissan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, but the 6112 still works on Nissan. So that gave us the opportunity to, with a larger body... To have uh, the the right amount of oil volume versus nitrogen pressure, and dampening, ver- damping, room for everything to expand, room for everything to expand, room for the larger eighteen millimeter piston rod. Right. It gave it. It gave us the opportunity. It was the golden opportunity for us to make a sixty millimeter shock, uh, two point six outside diameter exactly. for all you two point two point six five two point <laughs> to to make this shock that works. Without having to have a reservoir. Yep. On the front. On the front. Yep. And now, why can't we do that in the back? Well, on the back, you you have a more efficient, more of a one-to-one ratio. Right. Less um, complicated. The shocks yep. are maybe at an angle. Mm-hmm. And what's happening in the back, all the manufacturers are trying to get as much travel as they can out of the shock. Collapse and extend it is very efficient. Right, right. You're using all the travel in, all the travel out. Um it doesn't lend itself to a 60 millimeter non-reservoir shock because of the things we talked about. Right. It, the there's not enough room for that piston rod to go in 
to maintain the same amount of travel as stock. Right. Which brings it, us to dead length. Yep. Dead length. Yep. Another one of those things that we have to factor into the engineering and the reason why we use a reservoir shock on the back. So on the front, the 6112, we can have tons of dead length. Because it's a long body shock. It's a long body shock yep. with a short travel in the back. There's no dead length. Right. So you need to have the most efficient package um, to get stock travel. And in a lot of cases with 5160s, we can increase travel by a little bit if the brake lines and things like that will take it. Yeah. We'll take it. So with a 5160, you're going to have at least stock travel or more because it's a more efficient package. Right. With um, the reservoir. With the reservoir. All the stuff. Yep. Um, all of the internal components, the rod guides, the amount of oil, the amount of oil displacement is much smaller. It could be packaged a lot smaller. You can have uh, more travel in a smaller package with a 5160. And not only that, you've got less gas force ramp up. A lot of these are on leaf springs, and leaf springs kind of ride stiff. Yep. So you have a better chance of having a, a, a nicer ride with the smaller piston and the smaller rod displacement and oil with a 5160. Because you're not fighting rod force against tuning. Exactly. Right. So right. you're not detuning main piston to accommodate for rod force. No. And then since the... Which, makes, which brings me to another topic of why people say... Man, I put your guys' 5160s on my truck, and it's never towed so well. It's never controlled so well. Right. Well, this isn't a two-and-a-half-inch shock. It's not a 2.6-inch shock. It's not a three. This is a 46 mil with a 14-millimeter piston rod. So having all those attributes that Shane discussed is the reason why we can package that and still get a small shock to do big jobs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's really guides me to another part of this discussion. I don't know if we'll, if we'll have time to cover it all today or not, but uh, you get an awful lot of talk out there uh, when we go to trade shows and things or when we're out on the trail with guys, and it's all about the external body diameter. And really, that can be very deceptive, right? So you get people talking about 3.0s, 4.0s, versus our smaller body, body diameters, which is essentially a 2.0, 2-inch, and 2.65, as we talked about. So I don't know if we want to get, in it to get into it today, but we, we, might, we might just give people a little bit of a snippet of what might be coming up. But So what's really what's out there? What can be hidden in these large body diameter shocks that, that you know, a customer might not be aware of? Internal bypass. So there's, there's a really big word. Well, I think what's hidden even more is, is the damping piston footprint. Yep, technology, basically. How big is the working piston? Well, look, listen, like, internal bypass is great technology. Like, we're, we're definitely not here to, to, to put down others' technology because it's great technology. It's proven. Right. Internal bypass works. It's been raced on. It's still being raced on, and it's highly tunable. Right. But it's not as tunable as, as, as our position-sensitive right, JCO-RCO. Absolutely not. That, that's zone control is far more tunable and it's far more forgivable. Right. So if you tune an internal bypass shock for bottom out control, which typically race trucks are tuning for a ton of bottom out control because there are tons of heavy hits, tons of big hits. When you tune for bottom out, you compromise your ride zone, right? Right. So you can't have good bottom out control 
and have a great ride it's zone. It's a compromise. Yeah. Where, where, where you don't have to you compromise, don't have to with, compromise with 8112. But what my point was is you get so many people that come up to us at shows and, you know, they've just been at a competitor's booth and they looked at a shock with an external diameter of almost four inches, right? And then they, they come over at ours. Or and like they go, three, two yeah. and a half, three. Yeah, and, and so we have to, we really have to explain <laughs> to people that our working piston is the same size as the working piston in the internal bypass shock. My point is, is it can be quite confusing for a customer trying to figure out, and people that are really in the know sometimes, what's, why is Fox advertising a three-inch shock and you guys advertising a 265 or whatever we call it or the dimension of it? There, there's a reason for that, that the, that internal bypass shock has something else going on inside of it that they can't see unless they take it apart. And also, it's a tube it, within a tube. Right. It has holes drilled in it right. for your bottom out control. And those can be damped different as well. Right. So there's right. plates that can be retuned on the outside of these tubes where your oil flows through. Right, right, back around, yeah. And so you're not only tuning your main piston, you're tuning the inner tube. But it gives the impression of a larger shock. Well, it, Correct. yeah, but it also talk about a twin tube shock, a white shock that comes with your lift kit. Right, right, right. Um, that's a twin tube shock. The piston in that, even though it's the same size as a, the, the outside diameter, is maybe a little bit bigger than right. a 46 millimeter Bilstein, a little bit, but the piston inside is like tiny. Yeah, mm-hmm. 20 millimeter working piston. And so the only thing, those have holes at the top, so when the piston blows through, the oil volume goes those outside. Are, those are using a base valve. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so the internal bypass has, a, has holes drilled. More ports for it to Correct. move to, or bypass around it. Uh-huh. But a, a lot of times, I, it takes me a few, few times to explain it to consumers when they come up to the booth is, okay, you're comparing apples and oranges. Both technologies are great. Monotube versus the internal bypass design, but they both have... One cons, a, pros yeah. and cons. Yeah, where you're you're gonna. It, it, to me, it seems almost deceptive to the end user at sometimes, where because everybody's so obsessed with the outer diameter of the outer tube, right? Where they're they're comparing apples to oranges. Which which is let's take it to another suspension component, Mike, because that's a great thought. So you have a tie rod, a tie outer tie rod, <coughs> on a Chevy twenty five hundred. Everyone looks at them and says, oh, look how small those are. But does it really matter what size the bar is or does it matter what size the rod end is? Because the rod end, so there's like, oh, I need to get these upgraded tie rods because the bar is bigger. What's the bar doing? It's nothing but pulling. It's pulling the steering knob. Right, right. So that job is going to be the same with a kryptonite, a cognito tie rod. But is the joint actually... Any, any different because it's yeah. using the same taper in the steering knuckle, right? Right, right, right. So that, the joint still steering the, knuckle the, hole isn't getting any the, bigger. The, the yeah. steering knuckle hole is not getting any bigger. So, does the metal that meets the inner tie rod to the steering knuckle, does that thickness of metal actually matter? No, it's the point that connects to the knuckle. You tell me, does it? it, yeah. it the rod end is what matters, yeah. So if you can prove to me you have a heavier rod end in there or a, or a then rod that's going to cycle better yeah. or something that has a Zerk fitting that's greasable, right? those are the reasons I need, not the size of yeah, the Yeah, I mean, that, that's of the, the same kind of thing of I was the thinking adjuster about. Bar. Yeah, with the shocks is that, you know, our goal here with Shock Talk is to keep people informed to the highest level of technology that we, we have access to. And we want people to make informed decisions on what they on what they buy. We don't want people deceived by a number, right? 
a 3.0 or a 2.0. So it's it's good knowledge for people to have when they're shopping, no matter what brand they choose. Let me let me correct myself too before I get the comments down low. So there is a good reason for a thicker material on the adjusters on the tie rods <laughs> yes, because because GM has a bad image because their IFS and their big heavy trucks they put it in four low they get all that you know whatever the end ratio is in the transfer case they go to throw that thing and drive and move forward and the tire outer tie rods do fold so there is a good purpose for that specific chassis right but a guy that's daily driving this thing and not taking it off road makes no difference what size that that yeah that i mean we were speaking is. in general yeah, there. I'm, yeah i'm speaking more in general yeah. more daily use type stuff but off-roading the, the 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 kryptonite or the cognito or even Fabtech used to make them but they they had a much larger diameter beefier tie rod connector not right. the rod end but the connector which is which made some usable sense well i think we should Get back to the 5160. I, I want to get back to 5160, but I had a question myself. Is there any problem with running a 5100 with the 5160? Like not using the 5160 in the 6112 kit, but using the 5100 on the rear. Is there any issue with that, or is it going to work relatively the same? There is not an issue with that. You can do that. It's totally fine. But However, shock tuning-wise. Exactly. 6112 can handle a lot more than a 46 millimeter 5100. Right. And so the rear 5100 is tuned to hold up, to match with the front 5100. Ah, uh, got it. Because, you, because I mean, we when we do our vehicle-specific tuning, we're not just driving up and down Poway Road. We're, we, there's a series of ditches that we go through. We, we want high... high Test track, yeah. High high low speed valving to be developed correctly we want to drive off we want to drive it off road um but just by the nature of it a 46 millimeter front 5100 ride height adjustable can't go as fast through certain obstacles now it does make sense though because everything is 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 subjective so if you're a slow crawler guy that's just wanting a little more shock travel but you're never going to do high speed stuff. The 5160 is a good way to get that yeah. with running yeah. a 5100 yeah. front. Yeah. I say it's more detrimental to run a 5100 rear with a 50 with a 6112 front because the rear won't be able to keep up. And chances yeah. are, yeah. chances are if you have a 6112 front and a 5100 rear, you're going to take that to the level of what the 6112 can 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 Take. Yeah, yeah, same. Balance. Not caring what's going balance, on in the yeah. rear, whereas so you're going to overwork the rear. In the case of the 5100 front, 6112 rear, you don't run the risk of overworking anything because Reverse your that. front control <laughs> is going to limit what the rear is going to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So or reversed if I, I if I if I didn't say it right. Yeah, yeah. The 5160 is tuned to keep up with what you can do with a 6112 when you're yeah. doing spirited driving. Yeah, I just figured that there would definitely be people asking that question, you know, why can't I can, uh, put these two together in the same kit? And, and so just... I was going to say that a lot of people here at Bill Stein are enthusiasts. Yeah. And we do drive these things fast on the dirt, and we tune it for that. So um, that's the combination that we tune together. Well, I was going to tell you that I am one of those enthusiasts, and I have the 6112s on the front of my Tundra and the 5160s on the rear. 
So they've been on the truck since the day we used the truck for development, <laughs> over 10 years, I think. So the thing's been driving ultimately the, the best it can on the road and off the road. I've never had a complaint with it. So for me, personal experience is, is always better than just talking out of a book or a magazine or, or whatever you found out there in the world. So for me, it, it does work very well. I've never had any complaints with the suspension at all on the truck. Yeah. And all the guys out there with first-generation Tacomas, first-generation Tundras, first-generation Sequoias, third-generation Forerunners. If you're going to max out your ride height, put a diff drop in there. <laughs> <laughs> drop, drop the differential. Relax the CV angles. Yeah, you have to be careful with the CV yeah. angles because it's After, such a short travel. Right, the fourth-gen yeah. Forerunner, second-gen Tacoma, second-gen Tundra had a bit more tolerance yeah. for geometry change. The, the axle the, the, geometry was better. Put a diff drop in there. You don't need to call us. Just put a diff drop in there. <laughs> exactly. That's a debate for right. another time. So, yeah, I guess the one last thing on the 5160, uh, larger nitrogen chamber. Yeah. Um, and you've got this hose um, that the oil transfers back and forth from the as the rod displaces right. inside the main, the main tube. The oil is yeah. transferring into the reservoir and, and vice versa. And you've got a larger nitrogen chamber. So the 5160 has more oil in it and a larger nitrogen chamber. So it has, it's a lot better controlling the heat. But there's one thing on the reservoir shock that's, that's nice. And that is that when the, if the oil transfers from the main tube into the reservoir at a certain velocity, it's creating damping because it's squeezed yep. down. It's another control point. It's another control point. Mm -hmm. And because of that, on a 5160, and, and instead of running a 300 PSI on a 5100, mm -hmm. where it has more gas spring effect and a little bit firmer ride, 5160s, we don't have to run as much gas force. We run usually around 200 PSI. And the combination of this reservoir oil transfer and creating damping there, um, and the combination of a lower, of a lower gas force because of, you don't need as much nitrogen in the reservoir shock, it um, just gives you a smoother ride overall. Yeah, it's almost another tuning point. The inner yes. diameter of the, the reservoir hose itself, or you know, if you were talking twin tube tuning, it would be almost like a base valve, where it's allowing only so much oil to flow back and forth between the reservoir and the main tube. So it's, it's really, to me, it's amazing how all this stuff works together to make something that, you look at it and you go, oh, it's just so simple. There's no knobs on it or nothing to adjust or anything like that. But, I mean, it is quite a complex But, hey, actually product. there is a lot to but adjust. But, hey, yeah. we're going <laughs> to yeah. – Bill Stein always engineers things that people need and not always things people want. Correct. But we are doing what you guys want now. So if 46 millimeters outside of what you want – we got an eight. We got a sixty millimeter bypass and a sixty millimeter smooth body exactly. for some applications, and yeah. it'll soon be available for all applications. So, if you guys want the match, your sixty mil to sixty mil, we have that option too. Right, just yeah. to throw it out there. Eighty one hundred smooth body. Okay. Yep. But I was thinking today, you know, we get that question so often about that matching up and and how that works and why it works, and we get a lot of questions about shock technology in general. So hopefully, we answered. Most of those, I mean, we may have to dive back in based on comments. <laughs> 6112, 5160 guys are just, it, it's absolutely the best bang for the buck. I think so. I mean, I like, get a lot. You know, of it's it's a great trend package or overland trend, whatever you want to do. It's a great <laughs> overland package. It's a great 
kind of go fast package, not super fast, but it's a, it's a good go fast package. So if you live down a graded road and you're driving 200 yards down a graded road every day to get to your front doorstep, put 6112s and 5160s on it. It'll transform the way the thing handles. Well, so, let me tell you a story about that. Go ahead. I mean, from the outside looking in, if you go to my driveway, I look like the biggest overlander on the face <laughs> of the planet. Cause, yeah, because you, you yeah. follow trend. Yeah. No, because we have an Alu cab on right. the back of a Ram truck, and right. that's what we, um, we've been using for camping. Right. Um, so we make 8112s and 8100 bypass for that truck. I work here. I can... At any second, I can go buy those. Get anything you want, yeah. And put those on. But I choose not to. I use the 6112 and the 5160 in the back. Why? Because this thing's a big truck. I mean, let's face it. I'm just not going to drive it very fast. Mm -hmm. we're, right. not, we're driving down graded roads. We're looking for a camp spot. It works totally fine for that. Well, I, I, I don't say, need... Like, like uh, reliability, too. Those yeah. stuff's been on my truck almost 10 years, and I've never had any leaks and, or reliability. And this is just shows you how much Bill Stein as a company how much our offering, the, the broad range of our offerings, right? So we have your stock replacement, 4,600 for your car. We have an entry, a more entry level way to level your vehicle, get a better, more competent ride than putting a spacer on there with our 5,100. Right, adjustable. Right, right. Yep. adjustable yep. with 5,100. Then we have a package for you and Tanya, right. which is a 6112, 5160. Or my truck. It works great. Yeah. Or if you want to be a go fast guy or buy things that you, for cars and coffee, we have 8112s and 8100s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, we have so many, such a broad range of coverage for one application from, from, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, mild to wild. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's it's mild to wild. It's mild it's to, mild wild. to wild. And you yeah. can choose anywhere within there and be, you know, pretty much be certain that you've got something that's, we talked about, talked about it all day today, the engineering involved in making a product like this, the, and Shane said it, the pain in the ass it takes to do an application-specific valving for every single catalog part we make, whether it's a 5100, 5160, 6112, all of these parts, we put the same amount of effort and engineering and I'll call it love into building these things. It's amazing how much, um, how much time and energy we spend. To wrap this up, Shane, I'm going to get this comment section going crazy. Yeah, get it going crazy. All right, here's what I'm Light going to do. Light it up. I challenge anybody. <laughs> Don't challenge, <laughs> I man. I challenge anyone <laughs> to put an 8112, 8100 bypass kit on their vehicle and it not keep up with a tuned mid or long travel kit. And I, ch I, I promise it will blow away an untuned mid or long travel kit. You're getting these phone calls directly to your phone. Mic drop. <laughs> I didn't want to drop the real mic. Comment well, below. Yeah, the, comment below. These, these, these are magical. These, these, the zone control is absolutely magical. Well, I think we're going to save the zone control debate for another topic, and maybe even bring in some guests on this. That, I'm not uh, sure oh, that yes, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I am absolutely. I'm not sure that people understand the true capability behind zone control. Well, there's videos out there, folks. No. We we may actually share some of these videos with you at some point, but. Uh, we're going to save that topic for another time. Yeah, I just we, wanted to blow up the comments. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely into blowing up the comment section. 
Well, maybe that needs to be the next one. It could be. Um, I again, just broke the work phone. Oh you my just gosh! Broke the work phone. Well, that's well, good. Good. You don't have to call people exactly. back. <laughs> you don't I'm have not. to answer those challenge yeah, calls. I, <laughs> I got ton to call back. Exactly. <laughs> Well, as always, we, we want to thank you for joining us here on Shock Talk. Again, as Junior mentioned, uh, leave your comments for us down below. Um, want to give a quick shout out to our producers, uh, Garrett and Chelsea. They're behind the scenes with us all the time here. They're the ones that make us look so good and sound so good on the air. And we Chel look forward. Chelsea jumped her cross track. Yeah, yeah. She's the cross, cross track test pilot. With <laughs> TerraSport. Exactly. He ate TerraSport. And she didn't mean to. And it, and it looked. And... I was right behind it. <laughs> I was focused on the deer. Well, yeah. no, you were focused on <laughs> yeah, the deer. Yeah. So we were, it was, it was a travel. We all were on Moab. caravanning to yeah. Moab. Yeah. Why did we take a cross trip to Moab? I don't know. But yeah. anyways, go ahead. Hey, we had a topic a for time. another time. <laughs> but So we're on this back road leaving a rest or a viewpoint that we didn't even view. That was a rest area. <laughs> it was a rest area. It was we didn't rest even area. rest. We just cruised through it and got back on the road. We went to the bathroom. Well, no, we didn't do anything at this rest stop, yeah. trust me. Because me and Mike were like, what the hell are they doing? We, we looked at snow. <laughs> so, so We went there to look at snow. So I'm behind. I'm, I'm paying attention to this. Mike's in my ear saying, those deers can jump out at any second. Next thing you know, <laughs> she hucked that thing. <laughs> she put her foot she down and sent it. <laughs> I was like I, like, I saw the whole brand new skid plates that were, and it was just like this. And the landing was beautiful. It's perfect. And I'm like, perfect. Chelsea, you you jumped the cross track. And she's like, no, I didn't. I didn't even feel it. I didn't even feel it. <laughs> Did you feel it? No. You didn't feel it? Well, I... I Did you know you were airborne? No. Yeah, uh, you did. You had I to did. know you were. I mean, I suspected, but I didn't. There was no coming down crash or anything. Yeah. Well, nah. typical result. For I wish we were. Pro. I wish we were recording, man. I know. I wish we would have <laughs> had that on. Because that thing, she hucked that thing. I think that was the biggest stunt we did all weekend. Nah, she was out there. <laughs> she was out. She was out there. She was doing it. Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll we'll see you next episode. <laughs>